moment and say thank you for joining us this morning. We apologize for technical difficulties. We understand we're a little bit behind, but so because of that, um, we've made some adjustments to the schedule and hopefully you will adjust with us um, this morning because we have a very special guest, my friend Karan Coleman. And uh, we're here as we begin a series entitled Colorblind. And uh, thinking about race relationships and what it means for all of us as uh, humans, humankind, what it means to be made unique in the image of God. And so over the next few weeks, we'll be talking about that and, and thinking about that. And uh, I was talking to Quran recently and just asking him, what, what should I be doing and thinking and praying about? And how can I get involved as a white pastor, uh, but even just as a human being, like what can I do to join in on the conversation and, and continue to be a part of a solution um, for equality and all? And, and here's what, one of the things I want to make clear to you is, uh, for me, this is not a political issue. This is a theological, scriptural issue, is that we are all created in the image of God. It's Imago Dei, and uh, my brother here is is we are unique creations of God. And so we're just going to, that's our theological bent. That's where we're at. And um, today we're going to be putting on lenses to hopefully understand one another better and uh, have a, a better idea of how we can serve one another and care for one another and um, do the things that we need to do, in particular, as followers of Jesus Christ. I was telling uh, you yesterday when we were kind of talking and having some great food that my wife cooked and uh, kind of getting together. And uh, one of the stories that, that I vividly remember, and uh, I would go visit my grandparents often through the summer, and um, one of the things we would do is um, we would go fishing. We would go on a barge on Lake Tewakini and uh, we'd go crappie fishing overnight. So we would get there just as the sun's going down and, and uh, put our stuff, you know, all that different thing. And I'll be honest with you, like we were the only three white people on the bars, okay? Yeah, yeah. And uh, again, a different time. And so my grandparents would say, hey, we're going to go hang out with the colored folk, okay? And I know that's not necessarily the appropriate thing to say today, right? And uh, so one day I went back to school. I was about 10 or 11 years old, and I had friends of all different ethnicities. And I looked at my friend. I won't tell you his name because he might be watching and uh, I, I went to him and I said, hey, man, did you, I didn't know you were colored folk. And he was like, do I look like a crayon? Yeah. And I, I said, whoa. And in that moment, yeah. it struck me because I'm, I'm sitting there with, with my friends that are, that are black, my yeah. friends that are Hispanic. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa, something. And I didn't fully understand it, but something in my soul woke. That's right. And um, so from that point, one of the things that... Um, that I told you yeah. was, man, I've never, whenever we played football and ran track and yeah. stuff, it was like, if you're fast, you're fast. If you yeah. catch, you catch. It wasn't about it. If you wanted to be a part of this team, yeah. that's what brought us together. And so in a locker room, that wasn't, the race wasn't an issue. Yeah. And so I've grown up with that. And then God's molded, thankfully molded and shaped my heart yeah. through athletics. Yeah. And, um, and so that's why we've entitled the series Colorblind, is that there's, we have to be honest with ourselves and say, hey, when I see you, I see a black man. Absolutely. When you see me, you see a white man. When we see someone that's Hispanic, they're Hispanic. That's and that that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's a part of recognition of how God's uniquely created someone. Right. But it also allows us 
then to be able to go, okay, I need to step in and ask questions or to maybe um, to understand them in a way because every one of us brings beauty together. And that's that, that meshing of a tapestry. You know, on the front side you see the beautiful part, but on the back side you don't see the mess that's, right. that's really there. And so to get to know someone, to help understand the beauty of who they are is that all of our stuff intermingles and, you know, your story and how you've gotten to where you're at. Sure. Even our friendship. So sure. um, this morning, as we talked about, I'm just I want you to just share your heart. Yeah. And uh, if there's some things that kind of rise up, we want to ask some questions. We will to do that. But so I welcome my friend Karan Coleman and Karan, just share with us a little about yourself yes. and what God's laid on your heart. Yes, sir. Well, you know, first of all, man, I really appreciate you inviting me, and yeah. you know, it's just an opportunity for us to get together and. and share our lives with each other and, and also be able to influence and I think you know that's the call for for not just us but for all of us and so you know I'm very thankful and appreciative to have the opportunity just to uh, to give a different perspective you know and I think that's that's probably uh, the most important thing right now is understanding the perspective you know um, so I was kind of you know very briefly trying to ex- explain my story, but growing up, I grew up predominantly in African-American schools. Like those, you know, from elementary to middle school, there was not really a lot of other people. You know, like I said, I remember a guy named Billy, and uh, <laughs> Billy was a white kid, and we, I mean, we had no problem with Billy, but that was it, I mean, that was it, you know? But my mom did something in my um, summer of that eighth grade year, we went to, a different part of Missouri City, Texas, and in that area, there was going to be a new school there, uh, Elkins High School. And so, uh, in that time, um, I really didn't know what to expect. And when I went to school, it was like, wow, this is like everybody's here, you know. So it was everybody. I mean, and and this was a part when Missouri City was kind of like the Sugarland because those neighborhoods still were high end all the way to you know, $150,000 home. So, yeah. you know, it was a, a wide spectrum of, of different people. And and so that was really my first experience. But honestly, that was the thing that really prepared me for, you know, what would happen next in my life and the things that were going on. Because although uh, my education became diverse, when I got involved with a church, um, it was First Baptist Church in Missouri City. Um, uh, the, the, how I got connected with them is was through athletics. I uh, first got connected through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That's how I got saved, going through uh, an athletic camp. Um, and for us, all we wanted to do was play sports. And so uh, me and my friends would literally go and try to find basketball goals. And you know how it is in the yeah. summertime. Yeah. And there was this guy named Rod Ward. He drove around. I was like, hey, man, you guys want to go to a gym? Like, yeah, we want to go to a gym. And, uh, man, we got in the back of his truck, and, and I was really one of the only guys that really stayed and got connected. And, and so, and it was a First Baptist church, but it was very, very diverse. And um, uh, Rob was African-American male, and he was being intentional about his family and the churches that they joined. 
And so he had a really great influence in my life of teaching me about multicultural ministry before I even knew what it was. And so that was something that had been taught to me really since about the age of 13 from an experience standpoint until I, you know, begin to make my own decisions later. So obviously as a professional athlete and as a pastor, I mean, share a little bit of your experience and just, um, how you have incorporated, I know one of the things yeah. we talked about was you've given up some things to be a part of some white congregations yeah. and that. So, just so uh, yeah, and that's, I think that's what, you know, I talked to uh, you about is that, you know, me and my wife, you know, uh, we have six kids. Uh, we have one boy and we have five girls. And, you know, me and my wife, we had, like, really good discussions about, you know, finding a church uh, as our kids were growing up. You know, I was still, you know, going to seminary, going to Bible college. So I wasn't pastoring the church, but I was preparing to be a minister. And so we were trying to find churches that would, you know, ultimately help us with our, all of the things that we wanted. You know, that they could minister to us, our marriage, and then, of course, help us to raise our kids. And so... You know, there is an interesting dynamic, um, and um, you know, understand that I am generalizing what I what I'm going to sure, say. Sure. Uh, so please don't take it literally. Yeah. Um, but there's a. It's also like we talk about black and white, but there's also gray. Yeah. You know, um, unfortunately, sometimes being black has been identified as being the farthest away from something white. So. Um, if I am talking proper, um, if I have a political idea, um, if I do things a certain way, as far as that is away from you, you know, um, that is something that identifies my blackness. And, that, and that's not necessarily true because you may have someone that really may not fit 100% in a, in a pure black, if that's what you describe it. And then you go into the white world and you're not accepted either. And so there's a gray um, area here for, for families, again, I'm generalizing, of things that they desire. And so we went to black churches. We went to white churches. Um, we didn't feel like one was better than the other. But what we felt was good for our family was to join a large Southern Baptist, predominantly white congregation. And we talked about what we were doing, and we knew that in order for us to do this, that we would have to give up some things culturally. I'll give a, one example. And this was actually kind of hurtful uh, because um, there was, you know, I mean, we, we have a controversy about this right now because, honestly, there are some things that people are just not aware of, like Juneteenth, okay, an example. Um, also, Martin Luther King Jr., it's a national holiday. Or, um, so we were at church and I think the holiday was on a Monday and I can just remember us talking, you know, like in a small group, we would do like a fellowship group before yeah. and it was like, what's, you know, what's going on Monday? Was this the holiday? And, and we were just like, uh, yes, it is it's a national holiday. Some people still had to go to work. Some people didn't. Yeah. And I was like, uh, we having a barbecue tomorrow. Like, I mean, you know, we having people over our house. Like, this is something that like, don't, don't y'all know? There was no recognition in church. Uh, there was not an acknowledgement. There was nothing in the program. Uh, there was nothing. 
And, you know, it was just like, wow, like, you know, uh, I mean, did you even know that this, this, this date is on the calendar? It is a national holiday. Um, and some businesses don't even honor it as a holiday. Banks are open and it's just, you know, I think things have changed now, but back then it was just a regular day. And it was like, how is this a holiday? You know, even going to Juneteenth and what that means to the black community. And to not even acknowledge it or even recognize it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's disappointing. You know, it's like, uh, why don't I matter as well? You know, I'm not asking you to be black. I'm not asking you to um, understand everything about me. But there are some basic things, I think, that all people are responsible for. And I think when you see the issues that we're dealing with right now, the anger of black people is that you just don't understand. You know, it's like you've lived in your own world for this long, for so long, and you've ignored me for so long, and now you are just like almost completely unaware of what I've had to go through. You know, so give you another example, me and my wife, something that, you know, me and Chris, we talked about and something that, that people don't understand that me and my wife and my black friends, we have conversations with each other that we don't have with white people. And, and one of those things is that we all talk about how do we have to prepare our children, especially if we have a son, a black son. My son is 19 years old. He's in Arkansas. He goes to school. And he has to drive home. And, and, and our fear is, hey, son, what would you do if you got pulled over? Like, this is a real conversation. Like, and my son is an athlete. He's a, he's a smart kid. Never been in trouble. Never got anything wrong. But with all this stuff going on, there could be a moment for him if he got pulled over where he just is afraid. He's afraid and he is scared because of all the things that he's seen on TV and all her. And what if he just takes off running? You know, I mean, you know, KJ don't do it, you know, but we're afraid if, if, if just panic sets in, like, is he going to die? Because he was afraid. And so we literally teach our kids now to just come home. Like, that's our message. Like, we just want you to come home. Like, we understand that you have rights. We understand the legal system is supposed to provide rights to all citizens. But you know what? The reality is that you are seen differently. And it's not fair. It's not right. But you know what? We have to start focusing on common sense to get you home because of the situation that we find ourselves in in the world we live today. We were talking about that the other day. I just have to work. And I was telling you that, you know, I sent, uh, sent my daughter to Memphis. Heavily diverse community. And that was one of the things that we, in discussions for college and different things like that. She was incredibly intelligent, smart lovely lady that loves Jesus. Yeah. And so that was our discussion, is, hey, listen, there's going to be guys there yeah. that are going to uh, want to talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you show them pictures of dad's muscles. <laughs> and, uh, but that was one of the questions. I said, listen, I don't care what ethnicity. Sure. My deal is, the number one question you ask is, do you love Jesus? 
And that's been consistent, you know, for both of my kids. I mean, I'm like, hey, man, that's a great girl. That's a great guy. They love Jesus, you know, those kind of things. And so that's one of the, the things that we've been discussing as a family is because um, those things do matter, do. right? And so, but just to, to have that discussion, and so it's a whole different discussion. And when you and I were talking about, you know, with your son, and, and I just, I just can't even imagine yeah. the the fear for you as a parent. That's right. Um, and so even one of the parents, we have a, a discussion board um, for the school for parents of my daughter's class, and it was one of the one of the statements that a mother, African American mother made. She's from, they live in Chicago. And she said, the bravest thing that I've ever done is to send my oldest son, who's an African-American boy, to the heart of Memphis. And in that moment, I was like, I'm trying to grasp what she's saying. And as I've stepped back from it and listened to you and others. Yeah. And and, and it's it's, it's something that uh, there's a fear that we have uh, because it can just, it can be any day. I mean... You know, um, and, and and it can, it, and, and let's just say he's having a bad day. Sure. You know, let's like say he did something wrong. Yeah. You know, he deserved to be pulled over. Sure. You know, and 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 I think that the the unfairness of the type of um, uh, force that is being used now, you know, against African Americans is why African Americans are so angry. Yeah. You know, it's just like, yes, I understand he was drunk. Like, he resisted arrest. He was running, though. Like, yeah. did you have to shoot him? Right. You know, and we've seen other issues where we've seen, really, white men, like, swinging knives and uh, chainsaws. And, and, and they can, uh, a mass murderer gets taken to Burger King and, you know, it's like treating him like, you know, and, and a guy that's a, a misdemeanor. You know, is is he can't he won't come home. He won't ever see his child. And the easiest thing to do, I think, is to uh, deflect away from the realities of of what has happened in the past, what continues to happen, to focus on the individual and say, well, you know, he was wrong. Well, you know what? There, you know, two wrongs don't make a right. right. You know, uh, but the reality is there is something to this. Yeah. And, and that's I think that is what. Um, we're asking for other people to to be aware of. See, uh, there is a bias that that we all have. Sure. I mean, uh, I think for us to say, "Hey, I don't have a bias," but would not be genuine. It would it just wouldn't be honest because you know, from the day that we have been born, we have been programmed to think certain things about certain things. I'll give an example. Why do we call tigers tigers? We call a tiger a tiger because we've been told that that's a tiger, right? right? And if I said there's a tiger in here right now, we would all leave the premises <laughs> because we think of a tiger as being something that would eat you up, right? It would hurt you. It would harm you. So guess what? I, I like a tiger. I like to see it from afar, but I don't want a tiger to be my next door neighbor. I don't want that tiger to be right here with me, yeah. right? And so think about it. If... If the images of African Americans, especially African Americans men, has been, you know, these guys are lazy, uh, they don't want to work, uh, they're going to rape your wife, um, they're going to mismanage um, uh, uh, money, like, I mean, just the stereotype yeah. over and over, and, and how, like, literally black men were devalued. Sure. 
Like it was a systematic uh, thought because as Christians, guess what? We couldn't say that a black man is different from a white man. So there had to be a reason. Like there had to be reason and there had to be the breakdown of something to allow a pastor to say, hey, black folks, y'all go up there. White folks, y'all stay down here. You know, it had to be a reason. There had to be a, a way for us to believe. And, and, and oftentimes, as we know, you know, the Bible was used to, to support slavery. The Bible was used to support segregation. Because, again, the mentality was, you know, um, I can be right theologically, but not, not necessarily right from an orthodoxy standpoint. Yeah. From, from how we practice this. Yeah. Like, it's subjected to my own bias. Like, and it's okay. And, and, and we still have these models even today. I mean, it's the reason why we still have white churches, black churches. I mean... You know, my whole thing is this. If a community is right outside your door, and we know that this does not always happen for a number of different reasons. We've both been highly trained in church planning and understand just about everything you can think of when it comes to community and building those things. But uh, to me, in my opinion, the litmus test is what is outside of your door. Okay? I mean, is there black people there? Is there white people there? Is there Hispanic people? In my opinion, I think you start there first. Of, of course, people will travel, people will come, and that's great and that's fine. But why can we? Why are we not connecting with them? What is it about our church that that person across the street will not come in here? Yeah. Well, it reminds me of the Great Samaritan, right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a guy that's injured, and the religious, the most religious of them. Literally look at the situation and know that they're a possible solution and walk as far as they possibly can. And so it's that idea of who's our neighbor. And unfortunately, sometimes our orthopraxy, how we've fleshed out our orthodoxy, even though we may say everyone is my neighbor, there's a fear, there's a whatever it may be. And so uh, we walk past and, and try to stay as far away from the issue as possible because it's almost this... Well, if I don't really deal with it, then, then I'm okay. Right. Instead of really going, okay, I need to get into this mess. Right. And as as and, and in all honesty, I mean, the Southern Baptist Convention, where Southern Baptist Church right. was started, um, because we wanted to continue to That's hold right. slaves, That's right. right? That's right. And so how we started was that was um, a bad, hideous thing. And as much of our history, oh, the history yeah. of slavery is. is it is the, the dividing, that's the dividing point. Yeah, you know? August of 1619, right? That's right. So we've built this uh, wonderful republic that's right. on the backs of many, but it's specifically African Americans. And so, and, and, you know, all the different things. I mean, there's a lot of history and all those different things. And so, and what does it look like for us mm-hmm. now to be are the great Samaritan and to get into the mess and to deal with the real life issues because if scripture is real and relevant then it's definitely real and relevant to this absolutely and and, and really that's what I want to do I wanted to just focus on a passage in Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 15 but uh, before we do that, I want to, I would always do a benediction. We had different benedictions. And one time, a real good friend of mine said, you know, man, why don't you focus on something that's like essential? And so we went to John uh, 13, 
um, and 34. And, and every Sunday, uh, we would close our service with this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. We usually stop there. But if you keep going, it says this. You also are to love one another. By this, all people would know that you are my disciples of you have love for one another. Now, it's interesting because it's very simple. As a matter of fact, your shirt says love does, right? Right. And so the, the idea of loving people is not new. Right. It's not foreign. It's something that we accept. You know, however, when you go to Galatians, guess what? Paul and Peter had a, a similar struggle. So think about love as, as theology. OK, think about it as, as a doctrine. And, and, and Paul was saying, you know what? I want to make sure that I'm not running in vain. He want to make sure that, you know what, that I have this correct because Everywhere Paul went, there were people who followed him, the Judaizers, and would say, hey, Paul, hey, man, great sermon, but uh, you go over there and let me finish, let me talk to the rest of the congregation for, and tell them, hey, uh, make sure you get circumcised, uh, make sure you don't eat any pork, uh, make sure, right? So they would go behind Paul and say, hey, he missed out a few things. And Paul was saying, you know what, I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm, I'm, I'm theologically correct. Like that I am I'm clear that we are justified by faith alone. But, it, but guess what? It doesn't stop there. And actually he went to the extent to say, you know what? I also want to make sure that I'm also acting right as well. So the theology, so the theology would not conflict with his practice, with the way he lived his life. And so guess what? This confrontation that Paul has with Peter is, 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 a, is, a, is a big deal. And, 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 and I'm, I'm bringing this in the context because this is where we are today. How I can be helpful today uh, would to use this text right here to really kind of guide and inform us. And so I just really wanted to spend a few minutes and, and hopefully you are familiar with this, but I'll just read a few verses and then I'll just give you a few things. If you look at Galatians um, chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live here? And so really, if you understand the context, again, Paul had been theologically preaching that we are justified by faith. And yet he comes back to Antioch and Peter was hanging out with Gentiles. Now, my pastor, Tony Evans, we live in Dallas, go to Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship Church. And he was saying Peter had never had a pork chop before. Like he said, this was the thing. He, 
he found out that they served pork chops and, and they were sitting there eating and Peter was enjoying himself eating pork and like, wow, man, this is some good stuff. You know how it is when you go to other people's houses and you experience their food. And so here they're dining, they're, they're eating with each other and, 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 and I, I very well imagine that there's some pork on Peter's plate and he's enjoying this and, and everybody said, wait a minute, if he eat it, I'm going to eat it. And they all get in. They start eating pork chops and gravy and all this stuff. They're like, man, this is some good stuff. But then those Judaizers, the circumcision are part, and they come, and it's like, uh, did they say we could eat pork chops now? And, and, and he's like, oh, man, I don't even want to have this type of conversation. I don't want to be like have this type of conflict. So let me just ease on away. Okay, let me, let me try to get away from this situation. But, but watch what the impact was. It says even Barnabas. It's, it's saying like Barnabas had maybe the best heart of all of them. It's kind of like it's, it's what the, the text is, 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 is implying here. And it said even Barnabas followed suit. And then it said and the rest. And, and why is this important? Because here Paul is saying, first of all, I want to be theologically correct. But equally as important is that I'm also practicing the right way. And unfortunately, you know what? In the American gospel, in the gospel that we have subscribed to, those two have not always gone together. I care more about my orthodoxy than my orthopraxy. And to me, those things, how can they exist? How can those things, I, I even hate saying orthopraxy because to me, it should just be orthodoxy. And that's it. Because right thinking should lead to what? Right living, right practice. But oftentimes, guess what? We have been so content with being theologically correct that we've been socially incompetent. It's much more easier being, it's much more convenient to uh, not delve into the mess, right? And so, I mean, as you said, as I said, there's things that, that our families and our upbringing have trained us. And I don't know, you've, you've probably seen it. There's this great video of this uh, little black boy and little white boy, and they see each other, and they're excited, and they run, and we, like we did yesterday, I think. Yeah. And, and that's... Uh, I was faster, by the way. And uh, so we, I mean, but it's, it's that, that deal of we just see each other and there's a kindred spirit. Right. Um, that there's been places around the world that I've been fortunate to be. And there's this, this, this quickening of friendship yeah. um, because of brothers and sisters in Christ. There's something that draws us together and quickens friendships and the depth of the friendship because of that. Right. And um, I, I do believe that because we've been trained up in certain ways... Um, it makes us struggle sometimes loving our neighbor well. That's right. um, even though our orthodoxy tells us That's right. um, there's something in there that we, and we wonder, right. like uh, Peter and Barnabas, there's peer pressure. There's this subtle peer pressure to, well, if you do this, if you start moving in this direction, what are people going to think about you? Right. And then they're going to start, and of course, in today's American culture, it's like, oh, is the, is the preacher, if he preaches on this, then he's, he's uh, leaning right. left, and That's he's right. preaching on this, right. he's leaning right. And we've politicized things that are, yes, they're political, but even more importantly, they're scriptural. That's right. That's and, right. and so this is, again, one of those topics of 
man, if Chris has Quran here talking, he's leaning left. That's right. And it's like, you know what? If I'm leaning left because I'm saying love it's Jesus, easy to, love it's my easy to divide yeah. us. It's easy to divide us. And yeah. again, the, the focus on, hey, let me make sure I'm right theologically. Yeah. You know, at the same time, my neighbor is suffering. At the same time, my neighbor right outside of here is, is really asking for help. Yeah. And, and this is not a political issue. This is humanity. Uh, this is Imago Dei. Uh, this is us being able to look at another human being and say, you know what? You are worth just as much as me. And, and so what I'll do is just a few things from the conversations that I've had. I've talked to my own friends and, and we have talked and said, what? You know, I'm going to be in a position where I can speak to people and, and give them a different perspective. What, what, what would you want me to tell them? And so here are some of the things that I've, that I've, that I've heard. Uh, the first thing that was, was really, uh, it, was, it was probably the most impactful, and it was simply this. Uh, it's, it's white people talking to white people concerning the issues that we're, that, that we're dealing with right now. And the first thing that they said, for talking to a white person, said, don't feel guilty for being white. Yeah. Like, this is... Like we don't, you 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 should not have to apologize for being white. But on top of that, don't pity me for being black. Don't feel like you need to feel sorry for me and that you need to save me, that you need to help me, because that only adds to the the racism that we feel exists in this world today. But if you apologize for being white, then you don't really understand the solution. Because really the anger is not about you being white. The anger is more related to you don't understand the privilege that has come with you being white. And, and it's a hard word. It's tough. Because I know that that has been thrown out so many times. And, and, I, and I frankly said, I, I don't think white people like the word white privilege. I don't think they want to hear it. I don't think they like that word. And, I, and frankly, I don't think they fully understand it. And so my suggestion has been don't attack white people for being privileged. Like it's not, it's not for us because you know what? The whole Drew Brees thing. And I said, you know what? I would want my son to be proud of my granddad as well if he served in the army, which he did. Right? But the incompleteness of, of what Drew Brees was saying is that he didn't understand what was going on on the other side of the track. When his granddad was being celebrated on the other side of the track, that was a different story for black people. And that's the part that, that we're trying to communicate now. And it's not just we're angry at white people. It's not that we're angry at the white, the, uh, the America that we live in. We're just saying, you know what? We want to count as well. Like, our story is, is, is not just history, it's, it's who we are. It's, it's who we have become. This is a part of our formation, just like you. Like, we belong here. You know, and, and we're fighting for equality. We want to have the same opportunities. Um, the other thing is, and, and this is something that's really important, and I, I, I really appreciate Chris for inviting me, and, I, and I'm not saying this because I think this is what he's doing, uh, but here's the key. Do not depend on your black friends to inform you of everything related to being black. Like, don't go have to talk to a black person to figure out why everybody's so upset. Like, you want to know why people are upset? It's because this, this man has a daughter 
And this man is a child of a father and mother and he's dead. Does that not resonate with you? So if you don't understand that type of anger, that type of injustice, like you don't really need to talk to a black person to figure why there, there's anger in the streets. Like that's a heart issue. And then from that heart issue, guess what? You can actually go on your own and discover what it's like to be a black person. You can. Just Google it. <laughs> right? What is it like to be a black person? I haven't done it, but I'm sure something will come up. Everybody's, you know? everybody's going to start doing it. That's hey, the most Google thing. Hey, I'm, I mean, for real. You know? And, and, and I'm sure there's going to be something to help you, but it's not hard to figure out what it's like to be a black person. And we, you don't have to depend on black people to tell you what that's like. Because now we are in such a sensitive environment to where, guess what? As a white person, if you mess up, you, you might get crucified. And, and I don't think that's in the heart of every white person. You know, uh, but, begin, but again, when they're speaking from a privilege, when they're speaking from a lack of awareness, they may say something and they don't get a second chance. Because of the world that we live in today. There, there's definitely a fear, and I told you this, of, okay, what can I say? Sure. What can I not say? Uh, I can't be silent. I mean, it's because there's almost a sense of there's really no right thing right now. And so how do you communicate, well, hey, I love everyone, and I'm trying to inform myself. Not be totally dependent, like you said, upon you, but, you know, books and get all this different stuff and, and trying to inform myself on, um, again, being a part of the solution to all of this. Because it's not just one little facet. I mean, it's multiple issues. Which is why it's important that we don't attack each other yeah. when we make a mistake. Right. You know, and, and that is what I'm saying. Yeah. Don't attack someone for something they may not be completely aware of. You know, understand where they're coming from, and then, you know what, as a black person, you know what, I'm in a position to maybe help you, to influence you, so that you can understand things that I'm going through, things that we're going through. And the same is true on the opposite side. Right. I think part of it is, again, our culture right now is highly politicized, and so, so many see it as a political issue. Yeah. And um, as you and I have said, it's, it's, the political thing has been impacted because of our heart issue. And so if, we're, if our heart is in the right place and we're trying to understand ourselves and each other, then there's this spirit of empathy. You know, the biblical idea of empathy of literally putting on your skin and getting in your shoes and putting on your lenses and thinking through what would it be like for me to have the same conversation with my son that you have with your son. And all the different conversations that we have differently just kind of begin to grasp as best we can because we can't fully get it but if we get pieces of it then it helps us uh, deepen our friendship deepen uh, the move forward to everyone being equal and, and, and guess what this is the starting point for yeah. us to have uncomfortable conversations yeah. for us to be willing to be uncomfortable because guess what you, you know, you're talking about it. I'm talking about it. Maybe not to each other, but we're having these conversations. So why not us go ahead and get together and let's talk about it together, yeah. you know, so that we can find out, you know, what our struggles are. And, and, and maybe each of us will learn from each other and grow from it. And then my last point was this, is that 
And, and what was at stake here, let's make no mention about it. The gospel was at stake with Paul and Peter. Right. Okay. You know, Paul was very concerned that he would get it wrong. And make no mistake, if, if this was right, what Peter was doing, Paul would have said, you know what? I can't associate either with the Gentiles. And I'm not going to eat any pork either. Right? would have made the gospel de- defunct. I mean, it would be over. That's right. Yeah. But but he stood. Now, remember, now, Peter is, what, the rock? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, you know, I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah. Okay? Uh, Peter is, like, the guy. Yeah. Okay? In Jerusalem, he is the guy. And Paul confronts him. And says, hey man, you are on the wrong side of this. Like you are on the wrong side of this. And you may not have said it with your words, but with your silence and your behavior, you are guilty, Peter. And I can't stand for it. And really that is what black people are asking for. This is not a black issue. This is not something that's dedicated for black people only. This is an issue to say, listen, if you want to get the gospel right and you don't care about my life, then you're wrong. This is not politics. This is not about Black Lives Matter. This is about Imago Day. This is about me and you. This is about all of us together. And when you continue to go on in the book of Ephesians, guess what? One another. Let's build it together. The Holy Temple. All of these things are saying, guess what? I have crashed this divided wall. I have killed this system of divisiveness and, and all of this segregation. And I've created... No wall with one new man, and together we are going to build the church for the glory of God. Amen. Keep preaching. And so when you think about that, guess what? If we can reflect it in here, then guess what? It'll be easier for it to be reflected there. But if we get it wrong here without being confronted, without the realization that guess what? I'm not getting this right. Now people still have to choose what they want to do, but at least let's be on the right side of this. People can make their own choices. And so here's what I would say with this. As a church, no matter who you are, we all have a civic role as well. And the frustration, especially among African Americans, is that guess what? Our churches are filled with people who love God. These same people have civic responsibilities and civil roles that are contributing to systematic racism in the world we live in. An example, the, the, the economics, the, the, the redlining of communities. Like, how many people sit on boards that say, you know what, hey, we don't really want them to live here. So let's make our homeowner fees like $2,500. That'll keep them away. Like, that's wrong. And we're saying that, you know what? You're keeping us out of a place because you don't want our kids to mix with your kids. You don't want my son to date your daughter. So we're going to continue to separate. We're going to continue to keep black folks over here, Hispanic folks over there, and white folks over here. When the black people come in, we're moving out. Why, Why won't you stand for that civically if you can stand for it in the church? And I think as a pastor, as a Christian, that's the thing that hurts me probably the most. Is that there there are not enough people that are willing, like Paul, to confront a Peter outside of church. I think we've sanitized the gospel. Because I think about that story, and I imagine it was extremely uncomfortable. And that Paul, being the type A personality he was, he didn't didn't go, hey Peter, come here, let's have a little talk in the corner. Little discussion. He was like grabbed him by the 
in front of everybody. By the rose and said, listen, dude, you and got it wrong. And it probably came close to fisticuffs. If not, I mean, we don't get that part. But I imagine there was a scuffle of like, dude, this is the whole reason that Christ gave his life. This is the gospel. That's right. And then we can eat with anyone. That's right. The only thing that's an idol is something that replaces worshiping God. And if we're going to have pork chops and gravy, let's have seconds. That's right. right? That's right. And so the good news is, is that we can all be at the cross at equal levels. Right. And because we're created in the image of God and be able to do that. So, man, I, yeah. And so I, we do that with the gospel in the church. We kind of, one of the things I don't like about preaching sometimes is we sanitize things and we kind of wrap it in a bow. We give three points and push it because we've got 30 minutes That's right. and we want people to apply it, That's right. but not really to, to settle into some of the uncomfortable conversations. And as you're saying, make impact civically in our home. Which is why we were often reminded of the one another. Yep. <laughs> yeah. You know, it wasn't just love. It was like one another. One another yeah. Right. I mean, love is a great idea. It's a great concept. Okay, but the practice, as we know, is very difficult. Right. I mean, even with someone that I love very dearly, me and my wife have been married for 20 years. And guess what? There are times when it's really difficult to love. And the same is true. Guess what? With different people that are not like us. But guess what? That is what love is. That is what love does. It is not simply saying, hey, listen, man, you drink coffee. I drink coffee. Let's get together. Like you drink coffee, and I'm drinking water. Right. And we're still here. We're getting together. <laughs> you know, don't, don't I'm, working, I'm working on you. I, understand. I know you're going to try to convert me, but <laughs> I don't drink coffee right now. But guess what? We yeah. can still get together. Yeah. You know, so if your whole model is built around something, it doesn't exist for everybody. My, my question has always been, is it more about them or is it more about you? You know, do I need to be most comfortable? Or, or, or am I willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel? Am I willing to carry out my role and my responsibility outside of the church? Which I know that we probably want to wrap this up soon, but there's really two questions that I really wanted to leave with. I think we kind of set a, a real good basis for it. But, but really the question I think that, that Paul was even maybe digging a little bit deeper with Peter on is that how much of Jesus does he have? I mean, how much, how much have you allowed Jesus to have in your life? Because theologically we say, I've, I've given it all to him. Right? Because we all want to go to heaven. But what about socially and culturally? Like, has Jesus been given that same right away? Has he been given the same opportunity to, to really confront the biases, co- confront the, the, the things that you, you are proud of? Like, I'm saying, don't be ashamed of where you've come from and what you've done. Even, you know, acknowledge even the mistakes that, that have happened in the past and in your life. But have you given that to Jesus? Like, have you really allowed Jesus to have all of that as well? Theologically, we all raise our hands. Like, I'm justified by faith alone in Christ. Like, I'm, like I'm going to heaven. Okay? But is Jesus enough to help us be uncomfortable in our relationship? Is Jesus enough for, us, for me to be what a Paul was to Peter and to confront my brother, to confront my friend, to confront someone that I love and say, man, listen, I love you like a brother, but you are on the wrong side of this thing. 
This is not about being a Republican. This is not about being a Democrat. This is not whether this man deserves to die. This is not about uh, how many kids he has. This is not about what drugs was in his system. This is not about any of those things besides, guess what? That man should either be in jail or that man should be at home, but he should not be in the grave. And that's at the core of what we're fighting for. That's at the core of what we're hoping for, that you know what? That we can make mistakes too and still come home. Is that simple? But for us as the church, we have to have a desire to be even more than what we are today. It's great that we get built up, but you know what? This is not just for us. And we know that, right? But guess what? The expression of that. It's, it's difficult. And it, it, it's intentional. Sure. You know, I mean, I would wear, I'm wearing, I'm actually black and gray, and that's what I've always done until yeah. somebody says, hey, man, you need to wear some blues and some reds. Because this is what I'm comfortable with. Yeah. But, you know, I need some color in my life. You know? <laughs> I mean, it helps me. It brightens my face up. And, yeah. you know, it makes me look more appropriate. You know, I need that. Yeah. You know? So... It, what we're asking is something probably that's not natural, but something that we have to be more aware of. Sure. I mean, that's one of the reasons we've here as we prayed through what's the, the vision moving forward for Crosspoint is that phrase love does just kept ringing with us as leaders. And, and part of that is because there's areas that we feel like God's calling us to go in the future. We don't even know all of those, but that there's this uncomfortableness about moving to those next places, that for all of us at different levels, the gospel causes us to count the cost and to it's going to be extravagant, right? Jesus' love for us was so extravagant it cost him his life. And so for us also to fulfill the gospel, we have to be extravagant with our love. And that love is, as you stated, it's a, it's a choice, right? It's not a feeling. And there may be feelings, butterflies, when you first saw your wife, you're like, yeah, God, you did good, right? So there were feelings. But there's this daily choice to love and to love deeper. Because as we do life longer together, there's, we see the scars, we see the stuff, and we continue to choose to love. And one of the things that, um, that I've talked about with some others is that God calls us to love others, not like them. That's right. So there's times that we have to get into the mess, That's right. and we choose to love because we're, we're in the process of being with them and healing. Right. But that doesn't mean we have to you know, we're not maybe not be best buddies and hang out afterwards, but we're going to do some life together in the season because we love each other. Absolutely. And I, and I think, again, it is, but it's the connection, again, of, of not just here, but it's the way that we live our lives. You know, I mean, and being honest, like, you know what, am I okay if our church becomes integrated with a black kid, yeah. like, looking at my daughter and giving her the, you know, the wink. Like, you know. Googly eyes. Like, yeah. Like, ooh, ooh, you know, wow, you are beautiful. I mean, you know, like, how you gonna deal with that? Yeah, you know that's like I mean? a legitimate question. Yeah, I mean, seriously. Like, but that's the question that you know is there. Yeah. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be honest with you if I say that that's not there even for me. Yeah. You know, my son, like, who he's googly eyed. You know? <laughs> like, you know, like, I, I mean, just be real about that. You know? But again, what does that create? A conversation to say, you know what? It's okay to be attracted to someone just this in a different race from you. Because, and let me tell you why. You know, if, if you uh, see them as being a beautiful person, if you see them as as a Christian, and and, and they can complement your life and help you to get where you want to get. I mean, what what's the what's the problem? Well, he's black. 
That's the problem. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's, but that gets us to Martin Luther King's dream. That's right. It's content of character. That's right. And so for, for us as followers of Jesus, I mean, that's the number one question. I mean, do they love Jesus? That's right. And I mean, truly love Jesus in a way that it is impacting their character and that he or she is going to be a great parent to my to the grandkids yeah. and to treat you well. And I'll, I'll, as we know, just because you're a Christian, that means it's going to be roses, right? <laughs> With no extension of family. <laughs> we're, still, we're still humans. That's right. So we're in the process of being redeemed or uh, reconciled. And so, but yeah, I mean, those are those, those meaty questions that are practical. Rubber meets the road. Whenever you check your own heart of whenever we say, oh, I'm not racist. And then put your kids in it and go. And, and, and being honest and say, the reason why my kids are not here is because they're black people. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. you're not going to this school because there are black people there. Yeah. So you're going to go over here. Not because there's a better teacher. Yeah. Not because there's a better principal. Yeah. Not because this is a college prep. It's because there's no black people over here. So this has to be better. Yeah. You know, and that's, a, that's, a, that's something that we're still struggling with today. When you look at our school system, when you look at where black kids go, where white kids go, and where the resources go. Yeah. And we're wondering why we're having these struggles in certain communities because you don't have the same opportunity. So not saying that anyone needs to save us, yeah. right? And that's the key. Is there, you know, what, what I, I, I've not met a black person that says, man, will you please tell white people to come save us? Like I've never, I have not met any black person that said that. Yeah. It's the opposite. Yeah. Like I don't want you to pity me. I don't want you to feel sorry for me. But I do want you to recognize me. You know, and, and that that's more important than, than almost anything. It's just a recognition of, you know what? There's something here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I got to be honest about it. Sure. You know what? I'll be honest with you. About 20 years ago, this board, this city, you know, set up a place for black people to live. Yeah. And the schools are poor because you don't get any of these tax money. Like, this was created... 50 years ago when banks started lending money. Yeah. They said this is how we want it to be. Yeah. You know, and, and to be naive about it to say, wow, man, I just found a nice house or I found yeah. well, no, you you got a loan, I couldn't get a loan. Yeah. You started a business, I couldn't start a business because I didn't own a home. You use your home to leverage, get a home equity loan and, and guess what? That started your business or saved your business or you sent your, your kid to college with a home equity loan. I don't own a home. So that domino of this lack of opportunity is, is systemic and, and is, is, is affecting also my kids and, and the opportunities I have because I don't own a home. And where I can't afford a home, guess what? The, the, uh, the appraisals are not going up. You know, I'm at 100% loan. I don't have any equity. I can't leverage that money out. You know, so there are some things that we have to look at practically as well. And if we can help someone, I believe it's, it's our responsibility to do so. Yeah. Well, hey, let's, I'm going to push pause for just a second. We'll, we'll continue the conversation, but we've hit like 11 o'clock, and so we're in between services. And so I just want to say, hey, thanks for joining us. It's 11 o'clock, and so now we're into our uh, second service. And so, again, my name is Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Cross Point Community Church. And, Today's a unique Sunday for us as we begin a series entitled Colorblind. And I invited my friend Karan Coleman, who's a pastor and currently teacher and coach as well, and 
uh, a dad of six. So we need to pray for him just about that. And uh, we were talking even last night about how expensive it is to try to feed and keep up. And you're, you got those little lunch trays and you're like, kids, this is your little square of food um, to be able to do that. But So we're in the midst of a raw but important conversation on uh, race relationships. But even more than that, just um, how can we together um, show people that we're all created in the image of God and that we have a desire as Christians in particular to pursue Jesus and how that impacts um, how we love, right? right? This idea of, of choosing to love others. So um, I want to say thank you for taking some time out of your Sunday and joining us. And uh, we're just going to continue the conversation if that's okay. So hopefully if you haven't been a part of the earlier service, you can go back and you can watch that at a later time. But um, we'll just continue this conversation for a little bit longer together. So. Karan, uh, just again, tell us a little bit about yourself again, and yeah. then we'll keep digging in. Okay, so, um, you know, I was born and raised in Houston, Texas, and, um, you know, from there, um, went to Elkins High School, and then I went to Stephen F. Austin, uh, played football there, that's where I met my wife, and, um, you know, when my eligibility was done, I always had a desire to play in the NFL, and, you know, had that opportunity with the Denver Broncos, I was undrafted, and, um, you know, it was just an incredible time. You know, you always dream and, and hope that, you know, you can reach your dreams. But the older you get, the harder you, you know, you realize how hard it's going to be. Yeah. You know, especially coming from a smaller school and, um, you know, not getting a whole lot of upfront money. You realize, you know what, they really don't need me. And so the only way I'm going to make it is if I make myself valuable. Yeah. And so really... There is not an opportunity to have a day off. There's not an opportunity to say I'm tired. There's not an opportunity to say, you know what, uh, maybe I want to play a different position. You know, coach, you know, you underestimated me. No, you have to go to work every day and you have to earn every penny. You have to earn every rep, every opportunity. And so, you know, that just created in my mindset, you know, being a smaller guy, you know, I, I, I felt disrespected. You know, I just... I played with a, a, a chip on my shoulder. It's like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still like, you know, this is something that I'm about to prove, and I'm gonna prove it every day. And so, um, you know, just having that discipline really carried me through, and and I, you know, had a heart for God. You know, wanted to serve God, wanted to help people. I knew football was that platform to be able to do that, but I wanted to do it more intentionally and, and in a way that, you know, discipleship just. Being able to carry the gospel in a way that, that people understood it, you know, and they can make it their own. So I went to Bible college, went to seminary. Um, we started planting churches. We planted one in Missouri City. Uh, then we moved to Colorado, planted another one uh, there in Colorado. That's which is where we met. Um, recently, we were in Alabama. Uh, we have some family uh, land there. We got an opportunity to live on the land, something we've always desired as a family. I pastored a small rural church, mainly um, African-American church. And each one of those experiences, though, um, uh, really um, has, has created uh, even more of a passion about multicultural ministry and, and really what it would take for that to, to, to actually happen, you know. And so I've always been an advocate for it in Missouri City. I was an advocate for it in Colorado. Even in Alabama, you know, I've always, um, you know, tried to be welcoming of other people, you know, and it didn't always happen, uh, but it was something that people always heard from me. 
And I think that is something that's very important because, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't really know, you know, unless you've been told. You don't really, you're not really aware that someone is really speaking into your life, you know. And I think as pastors, that's something that's, that's very important for us to continue to remind our congregations of the things that are essential, of the things that are important. You know, and so those are the things for me that 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 carries me now. Even though I'm a coach and um, you know I'm a teacher, um, you know, and I still have a level of influence in, in different people's lives, I still try to use my voice to to really advocate, you know, uh, uh, the, the totality of the gospel in the sense of what this looks like on a daily life. Yeah, yeah. I think about what you said of of uh, you know not being the star guy, right? I mean, you're behind. I won't say who it was, yeah. but I mean, he was a star, right? That's Hall right. of Fame running back. That's right. And uh, every day you're like, is this my last day? And the sense of belonging. That's right. And um, you knew you belonged. That's right. But continually trying to help to show other people I belong. That's right. And that, that most of us, in some way, I think we have that desire. Like, we want to belong. Absolutely. And we're working to show other people our worth and our value. That's right. So how does that play into this discussion today of... Of what we're talking about being colorblind and race relations. Well, I think you know the the thing that we focused on in the first part is that you know we talked about being theologically accurate, accurate, but also there's a possibility we can be socially incompetent, yeah. and that's really a part of the culture that we live in in the American gospel. Like you said, a sanitized version where it's very clean. You know, there's nothing dirty about it. You know, uh, we don't really um, desire to be uncomfortable in our faith. If you're uncomfortable, that's a sign that this may not be the church for you. <laughs> that's right. They're going to cut the time. You know, let's start looking around a little bit. Yeah. You know, uh, but I think that it's important that we understand that's these one another passages. That it's the reminder because it's not easy to love people. It's not easy to love someone that you have things in common with, more or less to love someone that you don't have a lot in common with. But again, over and over, we see in Scripture, in Micah 6, 8, here's another Scripture you can uh, uh, write down, and you can read the context of it, but here's what it says. It says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness. And so really, it's, a, it's just a simplified executive order. Yeah. You know, like, okay, you think you need to sacrifice. It was, the context was, hey, how many rams should I sacrifice? How many goats should I sacrifice? Lord, would you be pleased with this if I bring this to the altar? And, and, and the simplified execution, like, was just, hey, listen, the Lord requires of you to do justice and to love kindness. And so for us to be absent, to be theologically sound, but to not care about justice in our society is saying, you know what, you missed the executive order. Like you, you've really missed the summation of the gospel, not saying that, that you can be, not saying that you cannot be guilty of being so socially oriented that you, you know, misuse the gospel because we know that that, that can happen. But we're also saying that there is an alignment as well that needs to happen with all of us. That yes, theologically we need to be right, but also socially and, and culturally, like we're being challenged over and over through scripture um, to be right with God. And so in saying that, I pivot to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. I mentioned it, uh, but if you understand the book of Ephesians, 
You have the same dynamic where where where, where Paul is building the, these theological structures, the, these theological paradigms. But then with verses uh, starting in chapter three, it's all about the, the orthopraxy. It's like this is what it actually looks like. And there's discipline. There's all kind of things of love and, and what it's really like to love a church. But but it's very important in setting this paradigm in Ephesians chapter two that that that, that and, and, and Paul speaking of the ministry of Jesus, Jesus actually acknowledging that there is a wall that exists between us. So I think that's the reality. Is that if Jesus had to break it down, he's also acknowledging that there is something that is between us. And that's hard to imagine. But but the reality is that we know that there was this court Right within the, the split, the Jews and the Gentiles, and what it was in, in worship, it was a place to keep Gentiles over here and Jews over here. And Jesus said, "You know what? I've actually come to tear this thing down." Yeah. But think about that as a church that has to tear something down. No one would go to it. Yeah. We want to only build and not tear down. But guess what? The construct of the gospel is: look, we need to break it down to build it up. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. I'm going to break down this wall and I'm going to build a new wall. But guess what? There's no longer going to be two. There's only going to be one. But yet there was the acknowledgement that guess what? This wall has to be broken down. Now theologically, guess what? We know that this was broken down, right? Because now we have access to heaven. So guess what? My vertical alignment with God. Hey, we're good. Jesus, thank you. Jesus paid it all. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He did it. Right? So guess what? I'm good. But now what about this? What about the horizontal? What about my relationships with the Jews and the Gentiles? What about my relationship? That's harder. Did he break it down? Yes. But the barrier still exists. And so now, guess what? We got this right, but we have to spend the rest of our lives trying to work on this. It's not like yesterday. It's not just today. It's the rest of our lives. And Jesus is reminding us of it. Like literally acknowledging these, these walls exist socially, religiously, and even culturally. Like there are things that, you know what, I'm not going to like about you. And I can either use that to justify my separation, or I can use it to say, you know what, let's, let's try to overcome this. Like, man, I got to get over that you're drinking coffee and I'm drinking water. Can I get over this so that me and you can still stand on this stage together, or are we going to have to take turns speaking? You talk to the coffee crowd, I talk to the water crowd. I'll win then. <laughs> yeah. But that's what it's speaking of Those type of things that guess what Our culture can build for us Like the culture builds this division Our, our culture keeps telling us that You know what Hey don't worry about being a Christian You know right now when it comes to politics Just if you're a Republican You know just be all in with them Whoever it is no matter what Same if you know If, 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 if you were black and, you, and you're not a Democrat, then you're not black. Right, I mean, you right. know, and so we're talking the same as you white. You, you can't be a you can't be a Democrat if you're white. Yeah. You know, so our society keeps throwing these messages and and building these walls that continue to separate us. And guess what? We have to keep tearing them down. Yeah, I remember sitting in a seminary class, and I was a missiology class with missions and the study of missions, and 
and uh, the professor brought in this poster, this gigantic poster. There's all these different pictures, and they look similar, but there's some distinctiveness along the way, and it was the portraits of Jesus around the world. Yes. And uh, I was like, whoa, that is powerful, because, you know, like, in the back of the seminary class, there was the sweetest Jesus. You know, he had blue eyes and brown hair and stuff, and that's what's been propagated so many times. And uh, even, even the thought of, you know, in the white congregation, I think many times we assume that Adam and Eve were white. That's right. And uh, they probably weren't. And that's what we were told. Like, I mean, that's, there's no black people in the Bible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, or or the black people were cursed. I the mean, curse, right? Yeah, the curse yeah, of Ham. And, yeah. and so that's how the Southern Baptists would theologically be able to keep this, here's white people, here's African American people, we can do slaves because they've been cursed. That's right. And it's our God-given responsibility to hold them under that curse. They called it the white man's burden. Yeah. And it was the white man's burden that led Christopher Columbus and, and all of these people that were under the cover of missionary trips to save Indians and to save all these other cultures from hedonism yeah. and killing themselves and being inappropriate. The white man had to save the whole world. Right. And, and that has perpetrated our culture. Like that is something that is still evident. And when black people are talking about systematic racism, we're talking about it from the very beginning because that was the culture of, of, of everything. Is that white man had a burden to, to, to basically save the world, to save everyone that was unlike him, to convert him to their way of life. Yeah. And the gospel was a part of that. Sure. But economics was a big part of it too. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Well, I mean, I mean, historically, I mean, Unfortunately, one of the reasons that uh, white slave owners in particular would even share the gospel was to calm down That's right. and to, uh, you know, to make them less heathen or whatever that mindset right. was. Right. And, um, and, but obviously there was a liberation theology yeah. that came out of that. And so a lot of the songs That's right. that are uh, wonderful you know, songs and stuff came out of that mindset. And so, uh, again, it's just that discussion of... Our background, each one of us have different backgrounds, what we're taught, we're, um, the visuals of different things. And even thinking about this idea of a picture is that, you know, there's, there's this picture here behind us. And this is a limited view of what is really happening because you don't get to see what's behind. And so our history books, our whoever has been, you know, teaching us and talking to us has a limited perspective. And so if it's this perspective, then we're not getting all of it. And, no. And uh, the media does that today. That's right. In particular, they kind of feed different things, and, and even history books have done that as well. That's right. And, um, and so there's this, for us today, we have Google, yeah. and we have a lot of resources at our fingertips to be able to love one another. And I, I think about, we've talked a little bit about orthodoxy and orthopraxy, and that really Jesus simplified all of the religiousness, all of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, he basically said Matthew 25, right? If you love God with all of your heart, you claim to love him with all of your heart, then love does. That's right. So if you claim to love God here, then it will impact you. That's right. So that we begin to love each other as much as we love ourselves. Now we, we struggle with that sometimes too, but... Go ahead. Well, well that's the construct. So when yeah. you look at Ephesians chapter 2... There are three barriers. There are three barriers uh, that this, this passage is speaking of. It's speaking first of the barrier that we have with God. Yeah. 
Okay, then it speaks of this barrier that we have with each other. And then there's this last barrier that's this barrier within ourselves. And in each one, if, if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus is saying, I have an answer for all three. But the essence is that this, of the essence of it is that understanding that when, when Jesus is our peace, guess what? That means that there's a lot going on. Right? Yeah. Like there would be no need of peace if we already had peace. Yeah. So we're talking about hostility. We're talking about conflict. We're talking about segregation. We're talking about issues that will divide us. Issues that will continue to keep our focus where Jesus said, I- I'm going to take care of that if you let me. Yeah. Like I'm already taking care of this now. You washed. Yeah. You clean. Right? You're going to heaven. You've been justified by faith alone. But this right here, hey, listen, it's going to get dirty. It's going to get nasty. And every day I have to remind you that I am your peace. So when you're uncomfortable, uh, uh, when you're angry, when, when your protest leads you to riot, when your protest leads you to break things and want to fight. I mean, you know, there is legitimate anger anger in the black community today where literally just said, you know what, I just want to tear up something. I want to tear it down. And, and that anger is legitimate, but at the same time, my question, and, and this is for all of us, is how much does Jesus have? Does he have our politics? Does he have our social life? Does he have our culture? Like you said, I'm so proud to be a black man. Yeah. I'm not apologizing for being a black man at all. But there are times when I got to confront my own blackness. Because I'm a Christian first. And I think that's the reality of the gospel as Christians. That we have been unwilling to check our whiteness, our blackness, because we've allowed the culture of these division walls to be so large that we cannot see over on the other side. You know, Drew Brees never knew what was going on across the tracks. And that's a responsibility that we have. It's a responsibility that we have for all of us that, you know what, we have to care enough about people that we are interested in what's going on in their lives. And guess what? Like you said, they teach us in missions. The, the Southern Baptists have been, I mean, if not 100%, but about 95% correct when it comes to preparing us for the mission field. Because everything we do there is what we should be doing here. Right, right. We don't, we're, we're taught literally not to impose our culture on whoever we're going to reach. Right. And yet, when we're here, that's all we care about, it seems, more than even the gospel. We flip it. We flip it here in the States because, one, it's attached to money. That's right. right. I mean, you and I know that. And so in Denver, we planted churches together, and he planted a predominantly African-American congregation, and that's why you were recruited. That's right. And so when I was planting, it was assumed that, hey, I'm in the suburbs, and I'm planting a predominantly white congregation. Why? Because, as we said, birds of a feather flock together. That's right. And you can grow quicker the numbers and there's a financial component and there's a variety of different things but whenever you go overseas we encourage you to submerge yourself in that culture and if you're in china man you know chinese history you know the language you know the stuff. food 
Yeah, I mean, you're in it. And so then literally you begin to think and act in, in everything as far as a person that's in China. That's right. Almost indistinguishable. That's right. But other than your ethnicity, all that. But people begin to, are drawn to you because you've loved them so well by the immersion that you've put yourself into that community. So I, I have a, I kind of have, just in my thought right now, I'm just thinking about kind of a, some type of litmus test. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So one of the things this this probably is, is something that's kind of been a justifier, you know, for some behavior is someone would say, hey, listen, I have black friends, you know, like, like I grew up with black people or, yeah. you know what, I don't have any problem with black people. Okay. So my litmus test would be, though, can that black person be honest with you? Yeah. I think I think that's the key. Like, can that can that black person say, hey, man, you know what? You made me really uncomfortable when you made that joke yeah. Yeah. about, you right. know, right. being colored. Like, like if, if, if that person is not comfortable with having those conversations, then that yeah. means that I'm telling you right now that he feels like, you know what? There's something in your heart that's not right. Yeah. Because that's what we talk about. Sure. Like we have to uh, 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 deal with our daily lives in a way that it feels like we don't belong. Yeah. So much of our culture or much of our behavior has to be compromised sometimes just to be professional. Yeah. So that we won't uh, uh, be uh, have things imposed on us or consequences imposed on us. I don't want to be the angry black guy. You know, my wife doesn't want to be the angry black woman. Sure. But she gets angry. I get angry just like everyone else. But if, for whatever reason, in my anger, you might see something completely different. And so if I'm not able to have that conversation with you and to be honest with you, then I'm telling you your friend is saying that, you know what, I have felt a certain way about you and about the way that we have uh, been around each other yeah. where I cannot be honest with you and, and to me those, those are problems yeah, yeah. what it would be with no matter that city right that's right and so if we're truly friends with one another we can speak the truth in love and we have we've had a tendency to sanitize friendships and sanitize church as we've talked about and a part of that is we want to love well and so we never tell the truth well, why avoid that? Uh, I mean, wow. I guess that, yeah. you know, where, where we are today is because we've avoided it. Oh, you know? yeah. And, and I think that we can't afford to avoid it because I'm, I don't feel offended being here with yeah. you. You yeah. know, and I don't, I don't think that you feel no. offended with some of the things that I've said, you right. know. And so I think that, you know, for us to be able to have these conversations is, is really the beginning. And, and for all of us, I don't think it's that hard for you to, if you have a black friend, to say, hey, listen, can I talk to you? Yeah. Like, can I just have a real honest conversation with you? Yeah, it may cost you 10 bucks. Go take them to lunch or, or something like that, you know, sure. but it's, it's worth it. Yeah. You know, just to say, hey, look, man, I, you know, like, what did you do? You know, you reached out to me, yeah. you know, and, and really that was the start. It's like, man, I, I'm, I'm kind of struggling. You know, I don't really know if I should say something, if I shouldn't say something, you know, what should I do? And then guess what? That start our engagement in was simply because you said, you know what, man, let me just try to, to talk to Karan yeah. about because he, he has to be hurting too, yeah. you know, because I'm hurting. And I'm seeing all of this stuff, and so I wonder what he's thinking about. Yeah. You know, if, if you have friends, you know, that even may not be the friend you want them to be, they, they possibly could become, during this time, just by simply talking to them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, not, again, I think more and more in our culture, we're connected through yeah. media, yeah. but we're not truly connected. No. You know, because again, we count the cost, and it's too costly. Uh, we're, we're, we're fearful of some conversations. And again, it's, I think it's a fear of, and I don't, I don't mind you pointing out things that make me uncomfortable, but in some ways, like, I don't even want to offend you or vice versa. That's so we, right. On both sides. That's right. And so, but a true friendship, you're able to say, hey, you know, and be able to speak some of those things in me or vice versa to chisel us away. That's right. Because I, but, and part of that comes through time, right? Through trust yeah. and friendship. And, and, um, and know that for both of us, anything we say to one another that's deep, that's going to chip away at each other, we, we know that it comes out of a place of love. And not out of a place of harm or anger. And that means something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that changes our relationship. Right. You know, it it, 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 it it takes away the surface. And you know what? It makes me human. It makes you human. Yeah. You know, and the absence of that keeps the relationship surface. Yeah. The absence of that keeps the elephant in the room. Right. You know, and so to have these meaningful relationships... You know, but again, it, it, it's about what Jesus did. Jesus established the opportunity for us to do it. Right. Right? But guess what? Chris, you have to reach out to me, and I had to be willing to say, you know what? I'm not mad at Chris. You know, I'm not mad at every white person. You know what? I'm going to engage Chris. I'm going to talk to Chris. It's like, you know what? I'm talking to my other friends. So that... He may be able to help other people with understanding the issues that, that we're dealing with and the things that are going on in our communities. Right. You know, and, and I think that, that those are the things that help us. But, but when you go back and you look at Ephesians chapter 2, you see this language of, of togetherness, this one man, fellow citizens, members, joined together, holy temple, built together. And again, guess what? It was all for God. It just, just imagine that, Chris, you know? I mean, I would expect right now if our kids were small again, you know, like if they were all four or five, I know my my little girl, Chloe, that's six, she doesn't care what color you are. If you have a bike, a scooter, a crayon, some chalk, you are her best friend. That's right. Like you could be a boy, a girl, it's the, it's like, you know? They yeah. beg every day to go outside and play with our neighbors, and both of them are Hispanic, and they love those kids yeah. because they just want to play. Yeah, they're just kids. But guess what? As we grow older, those barriers continue to build as well. And we start to realize, you know what? There is something different about us. Yeah. And instead of continue to sit at the table and eat with each other right. and stay at the table and, and work through some of these things, we say, no, man, you, you belong on this side of town. I belong on this side of town. But again, this was all for the glory of God. And, and you can just imagine, you know, why or, or the reason of, and again, I, I take responsibility of why our community don't have it right. It's because we don't have it right. And I can think and, and really hope that as a church that we can get it right and then they will follow you know, and it's not completely your responsibility, nor the elders. Like, it takes everybody. It's, the church is, is everybody involved. You know, if you're the pastor, a black person come in, 
you shouldn't have to be the only one to go and welcome. And I know that our churches are built now where, where we welcome everybody. But I'm telling you right now, that black person that entered, they already know they're going to give up a whole lot. So jump into that. What, what does that mean? What are you going to give up? They're, they're giving up, uh, really, it's a black identity. It, it is a sense that, you know what, are, are these people here going to allow me to be black? Like, can I have a barbecue? Will you come over to my house? Yeah. Do I have to come over to your house? Will you come over to my house? Okay. Are we able to go eat lunch? If you invite him out to lunch, why haven't you invited me out? Because I'm sitting there and I hear your conversations. Yeah. You're talking about you went fishing, yeah. you went hunting, your kids playing together. Uh, uh, you, you forgot my email? <laughs> Do you know my here's, phone number? Here's my digits. Hey, uh, uh, oh, I wasn't on that list, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, when it comes to a committee or, or some of these things that, that are going on in church, you know, it's like, you know what, I'm allowed to do certain things. So it literally, by me being black, you're saying, hey, this is where you're going to fit in. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm an educated black pastor. And, it, 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 and, and I can tell you right now, if I apply for a Baptist job, I wouldn't even get a call back. Because they're saying that I'm not equipped to, 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 to pastor a predominantly white church. And so the same thing is happening when someone comes in, they're wondering, hey, are they going to allow me to acclimate? Like, if it's just about who I am, if it's children ministry, if it's an elder, like, I mean, there's no black men that are qualified to be elders, you know, in white churches, you know, I mean, so, you know, what's going to be my roadmap, you know, and, and most black people are willing to compromise for the sake of something that's quality, but they shouldn't, yeah. they shouldn't have to give of everything to, to sit under a good Bible teacher. Sure. And yet, we realize, though, from our experiences that, that unfortunately, white people are very uncomfortable with, with submitting to black leadership, which is why they would not submit to a black pastor. So a committee is made up of a membership, yeah. Yeah. right? And that membership is saying, I'm uncomfortable, yeah. whether they're willing to say it verbally, but subconscious, they said, I cannot submit to a black man being my leader. Because yeah. the fear is, I'm just, I'm just projecting here. The fear is, what does the white congregation have to give up? Is it going to turn into a black church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what I mean, I mean, I'm going to lose my seat. If he comes, that means they all come in. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality. Which is not our church anymore. That, but, but that's always but, yeah. been the fear of yeah. black men. Yeah. You know, even with Hispanics, they're going to take my job. You know, they, they're going to take my position. You know, so the fear is like, oh, man, not about you being illegal. Maybe, you know, those are a lot of argument things. But the reality is, you know what? We're fighting for the same job. Yeah. You know, you know, now, guess what? There's one more person that's going to be competing for my job. And to be honest, I would deserve this job anyway. <laughs> But, you know, that's not the conversation. You know, that's something that's not being talked about, you know. But I'm telling you, when, a, when an ethnic person comes through a door, yeah. when they are the minority, 
they have already discussed. They have already probably admitted to themselves within each other that we're going to have to give up some stuff. I hate that. I mean, you, I mean, obviously, you and I have talked about that, and, and so you went different. You went a little different route than what I had thought as far as uh, the ability to lead and the ability to be in community with each other. Um, in some ways, it's more of uh, an African American, predominantly African American church worship is a little different, That's right? right? And so I know that again, as we talked earlier, that you and your wife have made some decisions along the way of, hey, we want to be in a Predominantly white church, and so we've given up some of those things. And so, can you dig? And, and I and I would say the worship experience, you know, uh, understanding theologically is not really about the style. Yeah. You know, and so when, when you're talking about uh, being a true worshiper, you know, we're 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 everybody has different experiences, and so to me, music is not much of an obstacle as hospitality. That's a good like, word. That's a good word. Because I think it, most white people don't think that. They, and, and that, and that is, is, is misunderstood uh, because it is the thought that we care more about our worship style than the feeling that you are going to allow us to be ourselves. And if we are capable of being a leader, then we can be those things. Yeah. Like that's not as important as that you can respect me and see me for who I am and give me an opportunity to do everything that you would give anybody else an opportunity to do. Yeah. I'm not asking to take over your worship team. Right. I'm not asking to bring tambourines or certain type of drums. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, we like, I just turned on the radio. Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's solvable, right? I mean, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I'm not, that's not going to be something that's, that's going to, like, that's going to not make me and my wife go to a church because, hey, you know, uh, they didn't have enough soul or enough rhythm, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it's starchy. Yeah. You got to put something in <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> You know, you can't have vegetables with, you know, you got to have some salt and pepper on it. Something. Now, you got to lie yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you yeah. got to have something, you yeah. know. Um, but, but, but it is, it is uh, a true, though, that that's part of the discussion. What, sure. what are we willing, but it's more about, though, the relational side of it than it is about now we do you know make sure that our kids are going to be ministered to but most importantly that they're not going to be black kids yeah you know that it's not going to be them and then them yeah yeah you know i was unfortunately i had this situation in a large church where i was the black pastor in a white church so every kid that came through a door there was a black kid. They said, hey, he's in your group. And this was life groups. And the kid wasn't even in my group. Yeah. But they said he must be in this, in this guy's group. Because black people were starting to come. Yeah. And, the, and the thought was, he's got to be in that group. And so they would that just usher kids over to me. When it's like, man, you know what? I can talk to more than black. Yeah, I mean... I, I know, yeah. like, if we talk English, I can talk to a white person, too. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, I, I'm not speaking in a language that a white person can't understand. You know, like, give, like, give me one or two white people, and let's at least see how it works out. You know what I'm saying? You might grow. Yeah. Like, man, let's, you know, let's give it a try. You know? Uh, but but that's, those, those are the type of things, though. You know, yeah. it's just like, okay, man, we... Man, we got we got a black guy now, and yeah. man, we're gonna grow a black congregation. Yeah. You know, we're gonna get more black people because of this black guy. Yeah. You know, that's it's, it's unrealistic. Yeah. You know, yeah. 
And it's just ignorance. Yeah. I mean, not, I don't know, sometimes it's a willful ignorance to just say, hey, we're, we're going to bring on a Quran so we can get more black people to feel good. Um, but, I, but I love what you're saying about is just um, all ethnicities, we need to be community. This is the model for community here. If we can't love one another and do community here, then how can we do that out, outside of the church walls, so to speak? Let the character and their content yeah, yeah. create opportunities, not their skin color. Right. You know, that, that's, and, yeah. and guess what? You only do that by building relationships with people, right. by getting to know them, you know, and also, too, sometimes, you know what? You do have to be intentional on giving them opportunities yeah. to be intentional about it because it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen by accident. So guess what? You may need to say, you know what? Hey, listen, I'm going to disciple. I'm going to, um, you know, put this in a, put this person in a leadership pipeline. You know, I'm going to do something to accelerate this person growth uh, because of the impact, knowing that the impact that he can make in the life of this church just by having his voice heard. Right. And I'm telling you, I think that what black people are asking for is really just to be heard. Like, we're not fighting for a particular position or this. There are things that need to change in our legal system. You know, we're aware of that. But at the end of the day, when we're just saying, hey, listen, do you see me? And if you do see me, can you tell me what you see? Because if you don't see me as a man, if you don't see me as 100% man, then we have a problem. Yeah. But I need you to acknowledge that so we can just move past the, the, just the, the reality of disrespect, the reality of, of racism, because it's not built on, on uh, maybe the, the symptom, it's built on a core that you don't see me as a man. Yeah. Maybe I'm three-fifths, you know, uh, maybe I'm half. But you don't see me as equal enough to respect me enough to be even willing to have a conversation with me, to sit down with me, to even give up some leadership, you know, so that it's beneficial to all, you know. So I think it's, you know, honestly, it's really not as tough because everybody makes their own choices. Like no one can say I'm not black enough. You know, no one can tell me I'm going to define that for myself. Like, I'm that type of person. I don't care what anybody say. They can say, oh, man, this man, he's got went to a white church. And he's talking. Like, I, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I'm still black. My, I didn't bleach my skin. Yeah. You know, I didn't change overnight. I'm still black. And no one is going to tell me that I'm not black because I'm here. Yeah. Or because my family went to a white church. Right. That's a decision that we made as a family for that particular time. And I know that it happens in a lot of other places, but it was intentional. Sure. It was something that we valued for our family. And we got to understand that, you know, some of the people that's coming in, they're, they're making those same decisions. Yeah. Like they just did like, oh, you know, hey, let's check out that church over there. Like they're saying, you know what, I've heard that they got great teaching, um, that I can grow. You know, like, uh, you know, there's a desire for not like we, sure. you know, like we want to grow. There's not a lot of churches that are really committed to teaching the Bible. Yeah. And so when you find that church, you're willing to travel, you're willing to go places, you're willing to do things to get you uncomfortable. Even if it said, I got to go outside my own race to get it. Yeah. And that was something that we was willing to do based on what we had available during that time. And I, and I think that there are a lot of people that would be willing to do it 
knowing that, that they would be accepted, not that, I don't think you even need to promise, you don't need to promise anything, it's just a feeling of acceptance, acceptance that, that you have from leadership all the way through. Yeah, yeah. That you could easily, after being here a year or two or three or whatever, could become an elder. That's right. Based upon content of character, based upon your ability to teach, all those different things that that would be. And, and one of the things we've talked about as well is, is one of the ways to help move diversity forward in a church is the stage um, has to look like what you want. It helps. It, yeah. it, 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 it's it, not the solution, it's not. but it's the beginning. It could be the beginning of and, and, and as long as those people have a voice. Yeah. And, and that, that's the key, you know. Uh, visually it helps, but guess what? That person on that stage might say, hey guys, did y'all know that Juneteenth is coming up this week? Yeah. And we and in worship, we're not even acknowledging it. I haven't seen any screens. Yeah. So just uh, 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 Cinco de Mayo, whatever. You know, it's just like we have a lot of things that, you know, I don't understand, that we don't understand. And the only time maybe that you may is if someone else from a different perspective tell you. Now, we can't do everything in the church. We're all aware of that. But at the same time, to make some effort of doing something, it can go a long way with people. Right, right. So, I mean, because I, here's what I think, is that when you and your bride have the same dreams or similar dreams for yourself yeah. as a couple um, and for your children that I have. That's right. Absolutely. No doubt. So whether that's educational, whatever, whatever those things are, and um, and those are the things, finding common ground in, in those ways. Yeah. And, and that's why people are willing to go to certain churches because they feel like you can help them to do that. Yeah. And that's what's key. Like, they're there, they have a need, and they feel like that you can help them. But sometimes it gets so difficult where you say, you know what, I would rather go somewhere where I don't have it just so I can feel like I'm in... Like, I got some relation. I have some community. Because it's important. Community is important. Extremely important, you know? And I think, just think, again, just those those conversations, you know, the, the willingness to, um, uh, just to feel like, like you said, belong. You know, it's like, I don't want to have to come into the church and feel like I need to prove myself. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, man, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I should say that joke. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I know I can joke around with certain people, but right. I'm kind of afraid because they might think I'm like, you know, yeah. you know. And so you just, you know, you like, that's what I'm saying. Is the, uh, you know, being afraid of like, you know, man, I just like to, you know, just be myself. And right. you know, if you say a joke and I don't laugh, I'm not angry. I'm just right. like, dude, it wasn't funny. Yeah, you know? you're not as funny as you. Yeah, know, I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, don't yeah. take it personal. Just yeah. like. Now, that would never happen with me. I yeah, well, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, see, that's my point exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, it's just, you know, being okay. You know, it's like as a teacher, they say, hey, don't be so quick to just keep talking. Like, yeah. you give instruction and just, just stop. Yeah. You know, be okay with the awkwardness of silence. Let people digest it. You know, give them some time. You right. know what I mean? And don't feel like you missed the mark because you have not gotten something. People process things differently. Yeah. You know, um, you know. Personally, my my uh, my relational uh, kind of the way I grew. It takes me time. Like, you know, I'm, I'm you know on stage. It's, it's much different for me. Like being there. Like I'm, yeah. I would be more of a shell there than I'm than I am here. Right. 
you know, here I can express myself there, I would be way more guarded. You know, if I was with my wife in the congregation, I would be holding her real tight right now, you know, and, and we would be really close because I would be, I would be anxious. Yeah. You know, it's like, man, I, you know, I know somebody's going to ask me something, you know, and... That's because you're an introvert? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because I'm an introvert, you know, and it's like, man, I want to make sure that I answer this question right, yeah. you know, because if I don't, it's just like, oh, man, I don't... I don't, don't, I just don't want to go through all that. It's draining. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying. You know, and so there's that anxiety that every visitor has, but it's multiplied, you know, as a minority because you know it's coming. Like, you know they're going to swarm you. You know, you know. They're trying, we try overly hard sometimes to make you feel welcome. And I'm already already nervous. You know what I mean? I'm already nervous. And I, I don't want to blow it, and I know you don't want to blow yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't want to say the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and I just think that, that it's just, it, it takes time, and hopefully, you know, when a person comes the second or third time, there's a great yeah. opportunity that they may continue to come if you connect with them. Yeah. You know, so I think those are the things that you know and, you know, the leadership knows just from studying church attendance and how people visit and those things and how likely they are to acclimate, you know, but a big, big piece of that is not a ministry, not worship, you know, it's just, hey, listen, am I going to, is it, is it okay for me to be who I am? And I think that's for anybody. Yeah, be able to find a place. That's right. Yeah. So I want to kind of backtrack just a little bit. We're getting close to the end of our time together, but I think this is important for us to understand is, you mentioned MLK, you mentioned Juneteenth, and Juneteenth is obviously coming up soon. Yes. So, um, what what does that mean for a church like us to incorporate that, to to bring value to that, and to not, I think for some, feel like we're entering into a political thing, but to truly just value important dates that we all value historically, and here's some that we can... Well, I think very it's, it's practical. Okay. You know, it, this, it, this is not... Head knowledge. Yeah. This has to be something that is seen. Yeah. Right? It has to be say, hey, listen, there's a parade that we never knew about, or there's a block party that we never knew about it. You know what? Can we bring water? Can we bring barbecue sauce? Yeah. Can we bring some sides? Yeah. You know, can we bring our worship to eat? Yeah. You know, because I think the one of the, the, the problems is that, and, and, and what the church kind of struggles with, especially in times like this, is that the idea that you need to go start something. Don't go and start something because you probably don't have to. You may be unaware that there's an African American on the other side of the track that's been working for 20 years on these same issues. He hadn't been able to get funding. He hadn't been able to get help, support. And guess what? Especially right now, the value of someone like yourself or congregation to say, listen, I'm going to come under your leadership and support you because you have great ideas. I affirm what you're doing and I'm going to support you. I think it's even more important to say, hey, we're going to go up and and start a social justice reform here at Crosspoint. As if it's never been happening before. It's already happened. Yeah. It's already happened, I guarantee you, and if not, you can raise up leaders because there are people that are very passionate. I mean, we're that close to Austin. There's all kind of people that care about these things. don't necessarily have to be black, but guess what? You can join something. 
you know, and you can be a part of it. And in joining those things, you're saying, you know what, it's really not all about us. You know, the same way like Samaritan Purse, you know, those type of things. There are people who are, who, are, who are really genuinely, and guess what, theologically you may have some differences. You know, but guess what? There's again, there's going to be these opportunities for dividing walls that want to say, hey, this is why we can't. Yeah. Let me tell you why we can, though, yeah. and why we should. Yeah. And I think that's the leadership that has to go on now. Because we all know why we can't. Yeah. But do we know why we should? And I think that those are the things that, that needs us to move forward to now engage people that are different because. Like I said, there are things going on, you know, yeah. and, and I, I tell you what, if, if you want to know, go to the barbershop. Yeah. Yeah. I don't go. I, I, I know you know, okay? You know, go to the barbershop, yeah. go to the hair salon. Yeah. They know everything. Yeah. They know everything that's going on in the community. They talk all day, every day to every person that comes in, every, you know, and they tell them everything. You know, so find these pockets of information just like they taught us, you know, and then figure out what works for you. Because it still needs to be contextual. Like, it needs to work. Like, it's just, you can't, because your, your heart, you know, you, you won't put in if, if your heart is not in. You know, and so I think my biggest suggestion for Crosspoint and any other church, the first thing I would say, don't go and start something. Don't go because, like, of all that's going on, like, like everybody's convicted. I'm crying, you know. Yeah, yeah. My father, you know, work, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm at the altar, you know, like, stop, you know. I mean, I'm just heart is broken. I, thank you. Yeah. I'm happy that your heart is broken, but there's a black man over there that's heart been broken for 35 years, and you can do more from him. You can do more for him. And the people that he has been trying to serve that you could ever imagine just by saying, brother, I support you. Yeah. Showing up, being present. Being present. Yeah. You don't need money. Yeah. You don't need all these other things. If you have it, that's great. But I'm not here to give you money. I'm here to give you my support. Yeah. And in that support in our relationship, we will leverage what we have to help support and do whatever we can for justice, you know, for reform. What can we do? And many times, let's be honest, money is the easy issue. It's the easy, easy solution. So it's the easy thing to throw it in there. That's right. When really, truly, what, what what's needed is money may be part of it, yes. but presence. Absolutely. And, and like I said, and, and it's, the, it's the way that you go it, you know, the way you go about it. You know, it's just saying, listen, I'm not here to save you. I'm not here to fix your organization. It's crap. It's not organized. Yeah. You know, you need an accountant. Like, I'm not here to, to break you down like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I'm, I'm a limit. I can tell you what I'm good at. And if you need me here, I'm willing to help. Yeah. But most importantly, I'm here for you. Yeah. And I'm telling you, it's powerful. And, and it speaks because just like white people are afraid black people take over, black people feel the same way. Sure. Like, man, they coming to take over. Yeah. Like, they're not coming to be my friend. Yeah. They want something from me. Yeah. In, in Africa, we went to South Africa, they call them the two bob. And they say the two bob are coming. The two bob are coming. Yeah. And, and every time the two bob came, they took something. They came offering gifts, but they always took something. And this is traditional, oral tradition has been passed to generations. When white people leave and I'm there talking with them, those are the conversations that we have yeah. through interpreters. Yeah. When the white pastors leave, they say, the two bob, 
We know he wants something. We still need them here. But we're also afraid that they're going to take something that we don't, we not even know what they're here for. Yeah. And that's something that's been built into us. And so you have to overcome that with service and compassion and empathy and really a selflessness that says, you know what, I care more about you. Yeah. I really do. And, and I'm sorry, you know, and I want to, if, if there's something I can do, I want to be able to do it, but I'm, but I'm here for you and I'm here for them. I think about that. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I've had those discussions as well. And continually say, "We're truly here to serve you. We're not. Whatever you need is what we're here to do." But I think that's that spirit of we're. What can be is we're here to do you a favor. That's right. And in reality, we're not there to do them a favor. We're there to join alongside. And so that's whether that's social justice here or missions around the world. It's we're there to not. We're there to just join hands together and be shoulder to shoulder and serve together. And, and when we step away, you haven't lost anything. You've gained something. One, a friendship, but then also the gospel is propagated or water or whatever that may be. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, bro, I, I appreciate you. Thank you. And uh, thank you for your time. Absolutely. And uh, this has been a great conversation. It's, it's the beginning. Absolutely. You know, we've been talking for the last few weeks and thinking about different things. And your question to me was, what am I supposed to say? And I said, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. And so I appreciate what God has um, laid on your heart and shared. And I think of Galatians 3.23. There's neither Greek nor Jew, slave or free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And that's our location. That's our location is in Christ Jesus. All of those things are broken down. And so I appreciate you... um, Starting an honest conversation with us and being able to do that, we'll continue doing those things again. And, and, and I want to invite you back uh, to preach and to share with us and um, to to give voice for us to the totality of the gospel. And so I appreciate your friendship and that you were able to be here. And we'll look forward to having some food here in a little bit. Thank right. you. <laughs> so again, uh, I'm Chris. I'm the lead pastor here at Cross Point Community Church. And this has been a unique Sunday. I know it's been, if you've been tuning in since the beginning, this has been a long time. And I've, I promised you a break at some point and you haven't gotten it. And I apologize, but I truly believe um, it was worth our time and our investment together. So again, thanks to my brother, Karan Coleman. And uh, we look forward to seeing you next week as we continue our series, Colorblind. Can we pray together as we close out? Let's do that. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brother Quran. I thank you for his family. I thank you for his call. One that is called to Jesus, that you, you reached out from heaven and you touched his heart through FCA. And uh, that he came to know you and through Rod and uh, his passion for reaching young men for Jesus. And that that was the beginning of his walk with Jesus. And that you've also called him specifically to vocational ministry. And uh, he served as a pastor in different ways. And now he's in a vocational ministry in a school. And uh, I wholeheartedly believe that in many ways he will have more impact doing coaching than he could ever have preaching. And uh, that his, the salt and light that he will bring to that campus and to that community will be even greater. So, Father, I just pray a blessing upon him and part of his family and this, the school district that he's in. And that people would be drawn to Jesus because of the faith and the man and the character of Quran and his family. Father, may you and us, I, I know that you've broken our hearts, that you've uh, chiseled away and you've shown us some areas 
uh, of our eyes and our hearts and our souls that were blind and that we were ignorant. And so, Father, I pray that we would just continue to lean into this conversation and to realize that it is truly a heart thing. It's a gospel thing. And that the gospel uh, strips away those the pride. It strips away our all the things that we hold on to that sometimes give us value so that we can lean into and understand that our identity is in Christ alone. And that's why Galatians 3.28 is true, is that in Christ, our identity found in Him strips away our past, strips away all the things that we hold to that give us worth and value, that our worth and value is truly found in Christ Jesus. So here at Crosspoint, Father, we desire to be a community that is about pursuing you and being in Christ Jesus and building a community that looks like heaven. May you grant us that blessing. May you grant us that favor and mercy to be a part of this and continue to lean into this conversation. It's in your son's name that I pray.